Therefore, beloved, since we are, you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You yourselves, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask now as we hear these words, these famous last words from the Apostle Peter, as we hear them, we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives to receive them, that it might cause us to grow in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Imagine that someone surprises you with, they're going to want to give you a nice vacation, to some beautiful place. You soak in the sun's rays. You feel the cool sand on your feet. At least this is my envision of a great vacation. As you play with your kids and family, you know you're going on this once-in-a-lifetime trip, but you're just not sure when. You don't know when. So, so what do you do? What do you do to get ready for it? How do you prepare for a trip like this, this, this dream vacation, so to speak? Does it affect you at all? For some, it might mean beginning to get in shape, right? Eating right, exercise, maybe getting new clothes, maybe getting some things for the kids so they'll be able to enjoy this experience so they can soak in it, soak in the experience as well. There, there can be a sense of urgency doing things now to prepare for that final destination. There might be a desire to put in effort now to resemble now what they'll be like when they get there because they're not certain when. They don't know when that surprise vacation is going to happen. But knowing that vacation is coming affects, or should, right, in some way, what you do today. In our text this morning, very similar to what we saw last week, Peter calls the church, calls us again to, to live a certain way now in light of the paradise that's coming. In light of the paradise that is coming. That's the idea. And before we jump completely into our specific passage, since this is the last sermon on Second Peter, what I want to do first is, is just summarize where we're at, how we got to this point. Okay, so, so we live in an age of uncertainty, skepticism abounds, and a rejection of objective truth, very much like Peter's day. That's our experience. And Peter has written to instruct the church that we can know God and his promises. He gives us certainty in an uncertain world. We can be certain of our salvation. We saw that in chapter one. We can be certain of the truth in God's word. We saw that in chapter one as well. And then in chapter two, we can be certain of the existence and danger of false teachers, right? That's what chapter two, we talked a lot about false teachers. 
And then in chapter three, we can be certain of the promises of God, specifically Christ's return, future judgment, and the new creation. Jesus Christ really is coming back, and we are to look forward to that day. So Peter concludes this last part of the letter with some final exhortations in light of that future day. He brings, us back, he brings back several themes that he mentioned throughout the letter before concluding with an exaltation of Jesus Christ. So first, and you can see this in your outline, as you wait for Christ's return and the new creation, be diligent to be found pure and at peace. Be diligent to be found pure and at peace. So look with me now at, at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So Peter connects this section with what he has previously stated. He draws an inference from what he's stated in the previous passage. In verses 8 through 13, we're reminded that Christ is coming back. He will come like a thief in the night when we least, when people least expect it. And his return, at his return, this earth will be destroyed by fire, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. At the return of Christ, there will be final judgment. But that, that wasn't all. That wasn't all. At the return of Christ, there will be a new creation, a new heaven, and new earth in which righteousness dwells. This earth will be renewed, and I compared it even last week, to the Garden of Eden, only greater, Right? It's the place where God will dwell with his people in a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. It is the place of righteousness, and we will have real, physical, glorified, resurrected bodies. And we wait for this promise. We don't just wait for the day when we die and our soul is in the presence of Christ while our body is still in the grave. We're not just waiting for that. What we ultimately wait for is the return of Christ and resurrection life in a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So in the meantime, Peter calls us to live a certain way in light of that future day. In verse 11, we are to be holy and godly and as we wait for and hasten the coming day of God. In verse 13, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And now, verse 14, our passage, since you are waiting for these, right, since you're waiting for Christ's return, future judgment, and a new creation, how should we live? Verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We, we've seen the call to be diligent before. It could also be translated make every effort with haste, right? Back in chapter one, verse five, we are to make every effort, same word, make every effort to supplement our faith with Christ-like virtues. In 1.10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So Peter's picking up on this idea of a sense of urgency, right? In the Old Testament, in the Exodus with the last plague, they were to make haste. 
They were to make every effort. With haste, they were to be ready to leave Egypt. The shepherds in the day of the birth of Christ, in the days of the birth of Christ, they went with haste, with diligence, to go see the Christ that had been born in Luke 2, that they had been told about. So now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to be diligent. We are to make every effort to be found by him at his return without spot or blemish and at peace. Now we recognize that the New Testament teaches us that we won't attain perfection in this life. Right? We won't, we won't attain perfection, but there's a, there's a striving, there's a, there's a haste, there's effort done on our part to begin looking now, to begin to resemble now what we will be in the future. It's a call to be pure and blameless in his sight, to be without spots or blemish and at peace. Just because we won't attain perfection in this life doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to be holy or strive to be pure before Christ comes back. Right? We are to make every effort to resemble Christ. And I think that's what Peter's getting at here. And in his first letter, Peter reminded the church that we have been redeemed from our former way of life with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without spot, without blemish. And now, being called to make every effort to be found by him without spot or blemish is a call to reflect and resemble Christ in our actions. He is the example that we are to emulate and follow, not the false teachers. In this letter, Peter called the false teachers blots and blemishes. And when a person is characterized by immorality, sensuality, greed, arrogance, and despising authority, then they are blots and blemishes within the church. According to the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 5, Jesus gave his life for us, for the church, for the bride of Christ, that the church might be presented without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be what? That she might be holy and without blemish. So to live a life that isn't characterized by pursuing godliness and holiness is to, to live contrary to Christ's purpose in his living and his dying. We are to be found pure at the return of Christ, just as he is pure. And we are to be at peace. This is likely a reference to peace with God. To be at peace with God means that we are right with God. We're in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have peace with God have access to God through his spirit and will enter his presence and not experience wrath on the last day. So how does one be found to be at peace at the return of Christ? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And you will be found on that final day without spot or blemish. And you will have peace with God. So acknowledge your own sin. 
Acknowledge your need for the Savior. Acknowledge your need for Jesus Christ and give your life to him. This call, this call to be found without spot or blemish and at peace is really a call to live differently than the false teachers were living, right? Live differently than the world. So believers, are you making effort to be found without spot or blemish? Students, right? Students, it's not how much can I live like the world and still be okay with God? Rather, it's am I striving to imitate and obey Jesus in all areas of my life? How pure can I be? That's what we should be striving for, right? And I think that's a question we all should ask ourselves, right? Whether it's in the workplace, whether you're interacting with unbelievers, whether it's in your home with your, with your spouse or your children, are we reflecting a lifestyle that strives to be without spot or blemish? I know we won't be perfect, right? but are you striving for it? Are you making effort in it? Second, second, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. All right, we see this in verses 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Peter now picks up on a theme that he, he introduced back in verse 9. Right, that the delay of, in Christ's return is due to God's patience with us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The apparent long delay in the second coming of Christ is out of a desire to give people an opportunity to repent and be saved. The false teachers were using this delay this, this so as so-called proof that God wasn't involved in the world that Christ wasn't coming back, and they were using it as a license to live in sin. When in fact, we should view this delay as God's patience, giving people an opportunity to repent and be saved. So we are to count the patience of the Lord as salvation. We need to recognize that God's patience gives people time to be saved before it's too late. So the implication then is that if you're not a believer, count the patience of the Lord, count the delay in Christ's second coming as an opportunity in this moment to believe, as an opportunity in this moment to turn to Jesus and be saved before it's too late. Trust in the finished work of Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose victorious over sin and death. And now he commands all people everywhere to repent because God has fixed a, a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus, you are saved from your sins, saved from God's wrath to come and you'll be safely rescued and enter his eternal kingdom. 
The implication for us as Christians is to count the delay, right? Count the delay as an opportunity to keep getting to know your, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Keep pursuing those within your own family. Keep praying for them, right? That they might come to know Jesus and be saved. Consider God's patience as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus so that they too might be saved. These truths were taught in Paul's writings as well. Paul taught the churches the gospel and the implication it has on our lives. He exhorted believers to grow in Christ and he reminded the church, he reminded the churches that Christ is returning. Now it probably brings us some relief to hear, I don't know if it brought you relief, it brings me some relief to hear that Peter say about Paul's writings in verse 16 that there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yes, Peter, you are right. There are some things in Paul's writings that are hard to understand. But what's happening in Peter's day is that the false teachers were taking Paul's words and twisting them. They were twisting them to their own advantage. It didn't seem like this, it didn't seem to be out of a genuine desire to gain understanding and then rightly apply it to your life. It it isn't the same as, it's not the same thing as, as questioning and examining and pouring yourself into a text to try to figure out what it says. That's not what he's talking about. It's not the same thing either as coming to different conclusions on some difficult passages that aren't clear. Right? We might come to different conclusions that are on unclear passages that Paul speaks of. Probably would have been helpful to live in that time and be the original audience. But what what Peter is addressing is that the false teachers, the, the ignorant, and their followers, the unstable, we're taking Paul's words and twisting them. They're, they're twisting them and distorting them to fit their lifestyle. And it results in destruction. How would they have twisted Paul's words? Well, we, have, we see several examples in Paul's writings themselves, which he had to warn the church, warn the churches against. Okay, so let me just give you a few. This is from Paul, Romans 5.20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Oh. So in order to let grace really abound, let's go on sinning. To which Paul objects He goes on in in chapter 6 of Romans. He says, by no means. Love that, by no means. Or Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We are free. We are forgiven of all our sins. Yes. Well, see? It doesn't matter how we live. No. No. Paul continues, Galatians 5, 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So these are just some, some examples. This is what the false teachers would have done. They would have taken those verses and twisted them to, to serve themselves and, and to have it fit into their lifestyle and their indulgence in sin. And that's the main point that we should guard ourselves again against. Now, I want to highlight one more truth uh, from this section, that, that though it's not the main point, it's, it's significant what Peter is stating here. I'm not sure if you caught it. Okay? So notice the end of verse 16 in regard to Paul's letters. Verse 16, there are some things in them, in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. As they do the other scriptures. The scriptures would be a reference to the Old Testament. And so by saying the other scriptures, He's putting Paul's letters on the same level as the Old Testament. Now, we can't say with any certain, certainty on which of Paul's letters Peter had in mind or which ones Paul had written to them. But what we do see is that even at that time, Paul's letters, the ones we have today, were inspired by God and authoritative for the church and were to be viewed as Scripture. Peter affirms Paul's letters as scripture. This is an important, I, want, I draw this to your attention because this is an important issue today in regarding our understanding of the doctrine of scripture and the canon, right? Because there's confusion on how it was decided, which books are in the Bible, or that it was something that just happened later, developed later in time. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to go on into detail here, but I at least want us to see that the books in the New Testament were recognized as authoritative long before a list was drawn up. Books were recognized as authoritative long before a list was drawn up. And I would just quickly say that the list of books that eventually were drawn up was due to heretical groups that either denied certain books of the Bible, right, or they drew up their own list. And so it was, it was part and due to pressures and from heretical movements. And I don't want us to miss the fact, so that's a side note. I don't want us to miss the fact that these New Testament books, Paul's letters and Peter's letter here, teach us how to live for Jesus Christ as we wait for his return. Now third and finally, As we wait for his return and the new creation, do not be led away into error, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Do not be led away into error, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. With these last two verses, we get a good summary of Peter's theme throughout the letter, right? These two verses could actually summarize the book as a whole. So look with me now at verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. 
Amen. Peter now provides another inference from what he has just stated in the previous verses. In light of the reality that false teachers twist and distort the truth and truths in God's word, leading to their own destruction, and since we know this to be the case, be on guard. Take care, watch out for those who seek to lead you away from the Lord. The idea here is that of a military guard, right? Watching over, guarding someone or something in order to keep it safe. The believers were to be warned, they were to be on guard against the error of the false teachers so that they wouldn't be carried away. Throughout this letter, we've seen that many, many who were outwardly and visibly a part of the church followed the false teacher's sensuality. They lived like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. They followed the way of Balaam. And as a result, professing Christians turned back from the commandment that had been given to them. And so the church is to be on guard. They are to be warned so they are not carried away. Someone could be carried away or led away into error through the persuasive opinions of others, through peer pressure, out of fear, which is what we see with Barnabas in Galatians and Peter in Galatians 2. They were carried away for, for a time, which means there's hope still. In large crowds, it can be easy to be led away. Have you ever gone to a concert or a game or some large event or a conference? This, this happened to me. This happened to me. The session is, they, they, they let you out. Okay, so I was at a conference well, this past year. Uh, 7,000 people at this conference, right? So, so they, they let you out all at once. All right, everyone heads to the exit. So here you are, you're shuffling your feet going along the path, and you realize, oh, I want to go to the bookstore. I can go get, check some books out. I want to go see some books. Let's see what they got today. So here you are. You're walking along, right? Everyone's coming this way. They're all heading the exit, and you're heading the other way, right? So there you are. You're shuffling your feet. You're going, and then you realize, oh, dear. I'm turning around. I'm just going to shuffle my feet and go to the exit, <laughs> right? And just, they just take you, they take you with, right? You just, you just end up going with because of, there's no way to get through it. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to go the opposite direction. So right, in, in, a, in a practical way, there is something to be said about how we can avoid being swept away. Right? There's something to be said for that. What kind of crowd are we surrounding ourselves with? I've, I've said this often. We often become like those we spend time with. Bad company corrupts good character. Right, so we, we, we ask, what are you running from? What are you running toward and who are you running with? Right, we, we, and our call is to run from sin, run to Jesus and run with others who are doing the same. And on the way, what should we do? Let's reach out to those who are heading in the wrong direction. Take care so that you are not led away into error, into the error of those who are characterized by lawlessness. Right? These are lawless people. That's what Peter is getting at. No law. 
Stand firm and resist any teaching that endorses a life of lawlessness. Resist it. And now, not only resist it, right? Verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not sufficient to just avoid something that's bad for you. We must also pursue and be strengthened by what's good for us. If we want to stand firm and not lose our stability, if we want to be found without spot or blemish and at peace at the return of Christ, then we must seek to grow. We must strive to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God's grace, God's undeserved favor has been lavished upon us in Christ. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And now we are called to grow in grace. The call to grow in grace and the grace and knowledge of Jesus is a reminder that we haven't arrived. This means that growth is necessary in the Christian life. God's grace not only cleanses us from sin, but it enables us to live for him. To grow in grace involves having a greater appreciation for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. God graciously gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Peter began the letter. He began this letter with grace and knowledge. And now he ends it with grace and knowledge. We saw in the second verse of this letter, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And now he ends, we are called to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For grace to be multiplied or increased, for grace to grow, for us to grow in grace, we need to grow in knowing Jesus personally and intimately. Now that's the point. I've been asked recently, as I approach being here five years in November, right, five years in, in a week or so, people ask me, is your church growing? Yeah. Yes, is your church growing? They ask me this. Some people mean numbers. But as I reflect on the question, my answer is, yeah, we've grown in numbers a little, I believe. But we're really growing spiritually. right? We're, we are growing spiritually. We're growing in knowing Christ. That's the goal. We're growing in knowing Jesus. And I'd say this is true of our church as a whole. The question for us individu individually, right, is how are you doing personally? Are you growing in knowing Christ? Are you encouraging others to grow in knowing Jesus? I was captured by this quote on, I saw it on Facebook, one of my friends posted it. It might, be a, it might summarize our experience when we think of our own growth. Right, so you ask, all right, am I really growing? This quote, it was credited to John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace, I believe. He said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But, I, but still, I am not what I used to be. 
but, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's continue as a church then, and knowing that this is our experience, or maybe our experience, even as maybe we look five years down the road, right? So five years down the road, and we ask that same question, are you growing? And if we want to answer five years down the road, yes, I've grown in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, but I'm not where I want to be or hope to be, but I'm not what I used to be. This happens as we strive daily to know Jesus. It happens as we study God's word, as we fellowship with one another, and as we strive to live lives that please him by the grace of God, all to the glory of Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and the day to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, all glory belongs to Christ. By the grace of God, you have rescued us, you have redeemed us. All for the glory of Christ. We are thankful for your grace that you have lavished upon us in Christ. We are thankful this morning that we can know with certainty that you are our God, that we belong to you. And we look forward to the day when Christ will return and we will be with you and him forever. We anticipate that day and in the meantime, I do pray that you would help us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus we wouldn't rely upon ourselves. We rely upon your mercy and grace. We would rely upon your spirit to work in us so that others might see it, others might come to know Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.